Welcome to Naturally Well, a podcast to help you live a healthier and happier life with a Nordic twist. I'm your host, Kate Turner, registered dietitian, personal trainer, Nordic Naturals nutrition specialist, and owner of Live Well with Kate. Today, I'm spilling all the details about my postpartum journey with a returning guest and mama of two, Taylor Walker. In this episode, Taylor and I talk about all the things postpartum that no one seems to talk about and prepare you for, and specific tips and products to have waiting for you at home when you come home from the hospital and the first few weeks, all from the perspective of a first-time mama and a new mama of two. As a certified personal trainer, holistic health coach, fitness model, Barry's boot camp coach, and former professional dancer, we will also be getting all of Taylor's tips on how to safely and effectively get back into exercising postpartum and what it means if you're experiencing prolapse or diastasis recti. She also has a great resource for you all to check out that will guide you back into movement. So if you're pregnant or postpartum, turn the volume up and possibly grab your spouse to listen with you so they can be better equipped to support you. All right, Taylor, welcome. I'm so happy to have you back. I was just saying you were the first person I thought of when I wanted to do this postpartum episode. I was thinking about doing it solo, but I wanted the perspective of a mom of two or just a mom of more than one, because like I was just telling you, it blows my mind how I would do this if I had another child. So we'll get into all of it. I really want to set up today's podcast with first, just talking about all the stuff that nobody really tells you about postpartum and that I wasn't prepared for. And I wish I was, which we got a lot of, you know, I got a lot of feedback on Instagram and Facebook on things that people want us to touch on that they were shocked about. And then kind of set people up for, you know, what are just some tips, like things to have at home when they get back from the hospital, because there were a lot of stuff that I was like ordering on Amazon, like crazy, and it couldn't come fast enough. Mm-hmm. And then I really want to dive into, you know, your expertise as well on how, you know, cause I'm at the point now where I am starting to exercise again, but talk a little bit about getting back into exercising safely prolapse. Cause I know you said you experienced a little bit postpartum as well, which everyone does. That's something I learned from my physical <laughs> therapist the other week. And just what are some good tips there? So a lot to cover. And I know we could probably talk for hours and hours about this, but we will keep it short and sweet for everyone. Um, but if you can just give everyone a quick background of how old your children are and just any type of mom info that they would need to know before we start this podcast. Yeah, sure. So, um, first of all, thank you for having me back. Very excited. I think when we first chatted, you were about 20 weeks along. So very, very excited. And you were about to have, side. you were about to have, yes, Lily. <laughs> I was about to have Lily. So now Lily will be six months, uh, next week. And then I have a three-year-old toddler who thank goodness, just started school. Um, and I had two wonderful pregnancies. I was active throughout both, but also very different. My first pregnancy, I was with my son. It was easy breezy, worked out through 40 weeks. My daughter basically leveled me very sick first trimester, um, but pretty seamless deliveries. Um, different also postpartum periods with my son. I experienced some postpartum anxiety and, um, didn't really put my thumb on it until almost a year later. And looking back on it, um, I probably should have asked for help a lot sooner. And then with my daughter, um, she was a sleepier baby, much more calm baby. So we just kind of seamlessly entered this postpartum 
period. And I also knew what to expect. But then what I wasn't expecting is about four or five months later for the postpartum depression to start to creep in. Um, so we'll talk about that because that was very, very unexpected. And I actually haven't shared that uh, publicly yet at all. Well, I'm glad. And thank you, Taylor, for sharing it here, because I know actually on our last recording, we did talk a lot about postpartum anxiety and depression. So it'll be really interesting to hear your perspective on that too. So let's start off with it's in a way I want to say like, it's not the good stuff, but it's the stuff that people want to know with, um, what, you should expect? And what are the things that most people aren't talking about that you really need to be prepared for? So I have a little list right here. Um, these also came in from a lot of our listeners, but you know, chime in as needed, but I just want to kind of start off like with when you're in the hospital. Um, so for me, I didn't realize like you always hear contractions can come on quick and they're painful. Right. So I didn't realize how quick they would be. So for me, I was actually scheduled to, um, be induced Mm -hmm. because our little guy who is now almost two months was about two weeks late, which was fine for me. I actually, I really enjoyed pregnancy and I was doing fine, a little uncomfortable at that point, but before I was even able to be induced, my water broke at the hospital, which thank God it was at the hospital. Because one thing I also didn't realize, like when your water breaks, it's not like it breaks and then it ends. It just keep, you just keep leaking and keep Mm -hmm. leaking. So know that too, if you're about to get in the car, bring a towel. (laughs) If you're about to get in an Uber, right? Like, but have something that you can sit on because I didn't realize it either. And then once your water breaks, those contractions can come on really strong and quick. And that's what happened for me. I basically went from like zero to a hundred in pain. I did get an epidural. I don't know if you did Taylor, but I didn't. I, and actually that was something I'll, I'll go back to prior yeah. to, um, my water actually didn't break until I was about to meet both babies. So I was, I was having contractions and I was going through, I was eight centimeters dilated and my water still hasn't broken. So, um, and that basically happened at the hospital with both babies. Um, and then you said, talking about contractions, I did hypnobirthing was what I'm practicing, what I practice with both. And then I'm actually getting certified to be a hypnobirth instructor right now. But what we're told all the time is contractions, they're painful. And there's a, a continuum called fear, tension, pain, because we've been told since we're little girls to have fear of labor and delivery, we get a contraction or a wave and we tighten up. And what that equates to is pain. So the hypnobirthing philosophy is all about entering those contractions or what we call waves in the most calm and relaxed state as possible. But it's also something that needs to be practiced beforehand because what do we do whenever we go to have even, I mean, if I want to go here, like a tough bowel movement, you're, you're, you know, your first thing you want to do is just tense up. Whereas if you just let your body relax, um, you'll be able to kind of ride that wave a little bit easier. Um, so So do you feel like contractions weren't as bad for you? Because I, you know, I, I did practice every single night to specific hypnobirthing tracks. And when I breathe, don't get me wrong. It was still a journey and both, both deliveries were a journey. Um, but I, 
I was able to look at a contraction in a completely different way. And when I relaxed into it and breathed, just like I would a hit workout, the pain and the discomfort did dissipate. If I, th- if I fought them in any way, because there was a moment at the hospital where there was COVID tests and masks and, I'd, you know, I had an IV in and all of these things that were happening that I felt my body. But the second my doula and my husband got me back into that zone, I was ready to meet my daughter. Well, that sounds lovely. And that's something I should look into next. Actually, <laughs> I did look into hypnobirthing and I was going to take a class and then I didn't do it. Looking back, I probably should have, because I will say while I was having contractions, they were extremely painful. Mm-hmm. And I, w- I did go into it knowing that I wanted an epidural. I will say mm-hmm. for me, because I have had friends that epidurals, they've had to get multiple ones. It hasn't mm-hmm. worked for them. It worked for me like a charm. I couldn't feel the bottom half of my body. I slept before I delivered. It was, it it, it was great. Um, but I think it's, it's something to go prepared into like you're saying Taylor, and I'm so glad you brought up hypnobirthing because I wasn't really prepared. It was all of a sudden I had these really painful contractions. My husband was trying to talk to me the whole time. And I'm like, (laughs) stop talking to me. Like I need to focus on this. Your job is to like tell me when these peaks are happening so I can get ready for it. But that was like, for me, at least before having the baby, probably the biggest surprise. Mm -hmm. And then after when you're in the hospital, two of the biggest things were one, just, you know, going to the bathroom after peeing and Mm -hmm. pooping. I was Mm -hmm. terrified. I was terrified. Everything was going to fall out down there. (laughs) it was terrifying. And, you know, you don't, I don't want people to think too, like an overthink too much about giving birth and be scared about it. But you also want to be prepared that it's okay that those things are happening. Like it's okay to be scared to go pee. It's, it's okay mm-hmm. to be scared to go to the bathroom after. Um, and one of, I would say actually pretty close to the painfulness of contractions that I had no idea happened was if you are breastfeeding, when you nurse your baby, mm-hmm. your uterus starts to contract, which is good, right? It's like, yes. it's, <laughs> it's very good for your body and you want that to happen, but it's very painful. And at least for me, I had, Connor had really like really bad issues latching. So he was mm-hmm. already cracking my nipples day one and day two. So not only did it hurt while he was breastfeeding, but then you have these painful, painful contractions while they were, I mean, there were times where I had to actually, I had to pull him off my breast. Um, so that's something. And even like the days going home after that, my uterus were still contracting, getting, contracting. I had, I had no idea that even happened. So I don't know if that yeah. happened for you too. It actually, so then it is, it does become a question of hospital protocols too. Did you by any chance get Pitocin afterwards? So no. So I never got, I was supposed to get Pitocin before when I was supposed Mm -hmm. to be induced, never happened. And I didn't get Pitocin afterwards. 
Okay. Cause this is a big conversation that I, that I had with my mom because she couldn't breastfeed because of the contractions and the pain, um, afterwards. And then even my doctor said, Hey, second time around, it's probably going to be very intense. And I even hate to say this, but I didn't, I didn't experience that. Um, which That's is it's crazy. Just like, so yeah. it's such a spectrum because I've heard that it's such a common thing when you start to breastfeed your, your uterus, you know, starts to contract because it's shrinking down, which is what we want. Um, but for some reason my body didn't do that. <laughs> That's amazing though. But I prolapsed. So it's like, you know, there's, there's definitely things that happen. And like you, it's like to, you're, you're hovering over the toilet because you're just afraid of what was going to happen and, you know, getting up to walk around. And, um, it's, it's no matter how your delivery goes, it's still traumatic. Especially yeah. the first time around, even if you have this beautiful birth and everything was textbook and you took a nap before you met your baby, it still has some level of trauma to it. Oh, totally. I mean, I remember once my epidural wore off because I was, I was on cloud nine, like pushing. Mm -hmm. I could feel that I was pushing, but it didn't, was not painful at all. He came out in like three pushes. It was great. Amazing. But then once the epidural wore off in the hospital bed, I was like, oh, I just had a baby. That's yeah. interesting. Like I feel that. And I'm glad we brought up prolapse too. And we'll talk about it more when we talk about like exercising later, but mm -hmm. for anyone listening, the feeling you can get when you get prolapse is like a heaviness, basically like in, in your vagina, like mm -hmm. it's just a heaviness or even in like just by your butt, like weighing you down, especially when you try to go to the bathroom and things like that. And, um, something that also came as a shock to me was I was really lucky that I only had a first degree tear. I only needed like two stitches, but something, and I've realized after talking to people, I still haven't met anyone that's experienced it. So I'm hoping this prepares anyone if it does, and to also not scare people if it does happen to them. But I had tiny little tears, I guess, on my labia. Mm -hmm. And they decided not to stitch them up, which I'm happy they didn't because the more scars you have, the more like long-term recovery you can have. But that meant Taylor, every time I peed, it burned. I would cry for the first three, mm, two to three weeks. I cried every time I peed because <sighs> you would basically had open cuts and then you're peeing, right? Which is <laughs> and so that was something postpartum, just those first, like I will say, probably. The first two weeks, I don't want to say were hell. Like I know some people say that, but, and some people did say that when we asked mm -hmm. feedback from our listeners, but they were really tough, but they were tough yeah. because not only are you, you know, if you're trying to breastfeed, but any way you're feeding your baby, it's tough in the beginning because they're learning, you're learning, but then also I was not prepared for that physical recovery. Mm -hmm. So, you know, having it be painful every time you pee also the process Every time you go to the bathroom, you have to change a pad. Mm -hmm. You have to use numbing spray if you choose to. There's so many, use a peri bottle to clean yourself, mm -hmm. which these are all things you can take from your hospital. And we'll talk about that. <laughs> but it's just everything's such a process. And then you're also emotionally going through hormone changes, lack of sleep. Um, I know like you were saying Taylor, with your first pregnancy, like anxiety, which could come on right away, which I know for me, it was, I was anxious, I, definitely at least my first two weeks. Right. And 
when it's your first too, you're also just learning how to take care of a little human. And you're just Googling everything. And I mean, your Google is on overdrive your first time around also. And then circumstantially, we don't have tribes anymore. There's no one to help. It's like, you know, you're out on an island and many of us don't live near families. and, And then on top of it, living in a pandemic and doing this in a pandemic, it's a completely different experience. Um, and yeah, you're just really not prepared. So anxiety for me, I've never really been an anxious person, but it came out of nowhere. And it was just a feeling of constantly vibrating tired yet wired. Um, and then not eating, skipping meals because I was so worried about whether he's sleeping or not sleeping or which boob did he feed on last and all of that stuff that did subside a lot second time around because you're more confident, you know what to do, but it was a really trying time where it was just, my therapy was a walk and a podcast, a walk and a podcast. And honestly, that first week I could barely make it to the end of the block and back. You know, I mean, I I wasn't even walking my Oh, no, I know. I was too say? scared. For, like my whole body was going to fall I out know. of its Truth be told. And they say like first week in the bed, second week around the bed, third week yeah. around the house, and then fourth week, you know, on your street. Um, so that is like, you know, so tried and true. And even if you feel good enough, give yourself that time. Yeah. And I think that's actually something I was thinking about. So yes, like they say, right first whole week, stay in your bed, then the next week around the bed. But then you also think about people too. Like I was fortunate enough to have my husband here. Mm -hmm. Um, but for single parents or parents where the spouse, you know, one of the spouses has to go back to work pretty much right away. Some people don't have that luxury and knowing if you can just get as close to that as possible for yourself to heal and not jump back into things. Or Taylor, I'm sure for you too, when you had your second, you have another child at home. So it's also wanting to, I'm sure wanting to play and be active with them because they don't understand, oh, mommy needs to rest a lot. Mm -hmm. Right. So how did that go for you? So when we first bought her home, it was like rainbows and sunshine. It was his little baby. He was, he put two and two together like, oh, your belly is gone. You can run now. You know, so many sweet moments because too, she was a very sleepy newborn, um, which I wasn't used to because CJ wasn't. And so I was able to put her down and then really hone in into him one-to-one. But then around month four, she started to stay awake longer, needed more attention. So then I had to ride the wave. I mean, we spoke earlier. It was like, if I had to stick to my medulla pump and sit down, there is no chance that I would have been able to continue my breastfeeding journey because you're running after three-year-olds are very strong-willed. They're very emotional roller coasters. Um, so I had my, I have my portable pump. And if we're in the car walking to the park, that's when I pump so I can feed her and so on and so forth. So it is a constant juggling act. And with him home for so long, it, it came down where maybe I, I would have 45 minutes to myself for the day because their naps would be flip-flopped. And all of a sudden you just start to, those days start to add up and add up. And, um, it became very, very difficult, but we're working through it. If I tell myself anything, it's that everything is temporary. Everything is temporary. So Taylor, it's so funny. I have highlighted on my notes for today. Reminder, everything is temporary. That's, that's the exact quote I have. And that's what I want the theme of today's podcast to be. And I think that's, 
a reason why, and now, you know, going into it with your second, if I had told myself that those first two weeks, I would have felt so much better, not physically, but mentally, mentally, but I wasn't in that mindset. I was, when is this going to end? Is this going to end? And those open-ended questions did not help at all. I luckily had my sister and my aunt came around like a week and a half. And so that helped a lot, but like, I was terrified to take him outside. Like I never, you know, I never took him for a walk in the beginning because I was so terrified. And that's what I'm hoping today. Some of the things we can talk about to have people more prepared before and know that it's going to be okay. And everything Mm -hmm. is temporary. Um, will hopefully just make those first couple weeks a little bit easier, but also knowing that like the first couple of weeks are really tough and it will get better. Um, I mean, I even, I have a note on here, which I wanted to touch on was that even knowing, cause I didn't, this is something I learned. I had my breast pump all cleaned, ready to go. Did I know how to use it? Nope. <laughs> like, did I know what settings to put it on? Because then that's a whole different thing. So actually my second, so when your milk comes in, usually it's like maybe your first, second, or third night at home, you're usually really engorged. And this can be, if you're breastfeeding or not breastfeeding, you still need to pump that milk out. I had no idea to use it. First, I didn't even remember that you needed like thing pumping bra. (laughs) So luckily I had a tank, a pumping tank top that my friend had recommended, which was great. But I first just stuck the things on me because it was also 3am in the morning. Cause I'm just, my milk's going everywhere. I'm like, I need to just get this milk out. First, I just stick it on my boobs with no pumping tank top. And I'm like, wait, no, this isn't right. So get the pumping tank top. But then I'm like, I don't even know how to use the pump. Like what setting do I put it on? What, you know, and so that's one thing, whatever pump you decide to get, if you decide to get a pump, which I highly recommend, Mm -hmm. know how to use it first. Ask another mom, you know, you can always ask either myself or Taylor, Mm -hmm. but find someone who maybe had the same pump as you and ask them what settings work for them. You will slowly start to find what settings work for you but get to know what you're doing and keep that breastfeeding bra tank top, whatever it is, or pumping tank top or bra right next to it. So if you do have that night where you're sleep deprived and you need to pump in the middle of the night, it is ready to go. Mm -hmm. Um, that was really big for me. And then also using the Haka handheld pump was great. Those first couple days and weeks, um, just to collect milk on the other side. So basically with the Haka, you squeeze it and you put it on your other breast that you're not breastfeeding and that'll collect a lot of milk. And that'll also help you just save and store a lot of milk that you can put in the freezer. So then later on, if you need to use it, you can easily defrost it. But that was, oh, that was a night Taylor. Like it's a journey. I, I just stuck it on without <laughs> like, without anything holding it there. And I'm like, no, this, this isn't yeah, right. Like, this doesn't seem right. Yeah, What's going on here? Okay. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I, I keep everything in a little caddy and I would carry it around. And we spoke earlier, um, having a toddler, there's no way that I could be plugged into 
to my Medela and actually do that multiple times a day, um, which is great because insurance covers, you know, those pumps, but there are even some portable options now that insurance will cover, which is great. Um, You know, the LV and the Willow, they are an investment for a lot of people. Um, It was a great investment for me, but definitely making sure that your, I think it's flange, right? The the end fits your anatomy um, to be able to be successful with it. Cause I think some people struggle with the size and they can't express as much milk. Um, But I have pumped everywhere (laughs) from, I mean, I pump in my car probably 10 times a week. I'm not even kidding. Walking to the park at the park, but then earlier on, breastfeeding and then putting a separate pump on one side, it was really nice. Cause it was just, I could be here and then I have freezer milk for later. But when you're running after a three-year-old and trying to feed, um, a baby, it's really, really difficult. Yeah, no, I, I, I can't even imagine. I really, I can't even think about it. Um, but I didn't think about it until CJ was over two, to be honest. So let's, that's, that's good. That's good to know. (laughs) And it's probably, we do that as, as a mechanism, right. A protective mechanism, but I'm curious, Taylor, what portable pump worked for you Hmm. that you like using? So I love the LV. Um, I think the biggest difference, cause I've, I've had some of my followers say it didn't really work for them. They didn't love it. I've heard the willow. You could literally do yoga with, and okay. it's great. It doesn't leak. The LV, um, it does leak if you lean over too far a little bit. Okay. Um, but it's really nice if I just want to pump and, and give her a quick bottle. Um, it's super easy to clean, very easy to use. So I think it's really just, um, and it's smaller than the willow. So the willow is a little bit bigger, but the willow is the original. Um, Again, with the LV, just finding the right size for your anatomy will equate to success. And then not forgetting to change, I think it's every like eight weeks or something, the rubber parts of any pump, because that's going to help with expression. My first time around, I didn't even know you had to change out those parts and it'll affect how much milk you express. Um, So just making sure that you routinely change those. Yep. <laughs> I've not touched the rubber parts. I do wash it daily, but that's about it. And that's also exactly. another thing. Like everything's just a process. You got to, you know, if you're pumping each day, you have to clean your pump each time. And most yep. of them you don't want to put in the dishwasher because then they will get warped. Um, so that's a tough part too, is do you want to yeah. hack. All right. Yes. So here's what I do. This is a major hack and I, I wanted to patent it or something, but I, it's, you can't. So take a salad spinner at the end of the day, throw all your parts in the salad spinner and fill it with hot soapy water, run it around, then give it a quick rinse. And then I use the Medela steam bags, throw everything in the oh, microwave and you're done. They're amazing. But that just like gives like a dishwasher feel with that. And I can throw so many parts in there instead of like you know, putting everything in the sink and washing one by one. And that's made it a lot easier. That I love that. Now I just need to get a salad spinner, but I there do you have, go. I'm glad till you brought up the Medela, um, sanitizer bags that you can just mm-hmm. pop in the microwave. That was something my doula recommended. And it's really sure. nice. Like I will say, I don't sanitize every day. I just do it about once a week. And I'll sanitize like his pacifiers and really anything that I'm like, "Mm, that needs to be cleaned. Uh, (laughs) So that's a great one. And some other things that people had brought up were night sweats, which Mm -hmm. I've been fortunate. I might've been very sporadic, like one night I'll be soaked and then the next I'm fine. So, you know, and I've also heard that can come up a few months later, like it's sometimes not right away. And that's what just, or the, all the hormonal changes, Um, 
I am shedding everywhere again. And by shedding, I mean my hair. So yeah, pregnancy (laughs) was amazing. I didn't shed at all, which I was a shedder pre-pregnancy, but oh, I'm shedding ridiculous amounts all over baby too, which something I've learned as well. You have to make sure that they don't get it like wrapped around Mm -hmm. their toes or their fingers. Um, so I'm constantly picking hairs off of him but that's, that was a big one. And I know I'm, I'm only at the beginning of it. I have not like really lost clumps yet, but I know many people who have, so I'm hoping, you know, maybe I can prevent that and just trying to like, make sure I'm eating enough protein because that's what your hair Mm -hmm. is, you know, based off of and grown with. So we'll see about that. Um, but like you were saying earlier too, it's also hard to find times to eat meals or make yeah. yourself a priority to eat meals. And I, I think our society has told us, like there's so many posts out there on how to decorate the nursery and what to pack in your hospital bag and like all yeah. of these things, but they don't set us up for postpartum. And postpartum no. is such a shock for so many of us. And even us as like high functioning women, we're working, we're doing so many things. It's really a shock. So, you know, setting yourself up for postpartum success is extremely important. And that includes nourishment is such a huge part of that. Because with my first, I didn't ask for help. My husband started traveling almost immediately. We had a cross country move that we had to move to California when my son was three months old. It was a, it was a lot. So it's no wonder I had anxiety. It It was rough, but you know, I didn't pre-make anything. I didn't, you know, talk to friends and say, Hey, you know, if you guys could help me out with some meals, I I didn't communicate, you know? And I think even your partner, your spouse, whatever that is, whoever you're creating life with, if you don't communicate your needs, we have the tendency to make it look relatively easy, easy. Um, so it's taking, getting a lactation specialist, one that you, you know, can call getting to know your pump is so important. Um, if you have the means, maybe hiring a postpartum doula for a few days, really keeping your mental health at the forefront of, of your mind, you know, having your OB on call is so important. I mean, two weeks after I, I know my body well enough to know that something was going wrong. And, you know, I called my doctor. I said, I think I have prolapse. I need to come see you. And she's like, it's very early, but come on in. Let's just check you out and see what's going on. So an important pelvic floor therapist, if you can set these things up beforehand, you're going to have an arsenal of support on the other side. And maybe you might need it. Maybe you won't, but at least it's there instead of scrambling. Yeah. And I think, you know, just even talking about pelvic floor physical therapist. So I had, which I love, I'm now I live in North Carolina and I've had great care here. And we actually had a four week appointment instead of six week, which was great. great, you know, still wasn't cleared to work out until six weeks, you know, or swim, things like that. But one of the first things the doctor said was, are you feeling any types of prolapse? I'm going to check you out. Even if it's a little bit, let's get you set up with pelvic floor physical therapy. I have never had a doctor be proactive and it's something that, like you said, Taylor, even when you're delivering, if that's the doctor you're going to see for your six week or four week postpartum appointment, which usually it should be, that's when you even tell them, like, I want to make sure, regardless if you feel prolapse or not, mm-hmm. because even just going, you know, my, my PT, she checked for diastasis recti. Mm-hmm. She just did breathing exercises, but it's something that 
everyone should have in their postpartum recovery and should experience to make sure everything's okay. So we also don't just keep damaging things. Like I know some women, they hit six weeks, they start running, they start jumping back into everything and they don't even realize they have prolapse. And then they just make it worse and worse Mm -hmm. and worse. And it's something that we need to learn and just make the norm. Right. And it's, it's something that almost every woman, woman experiences to some degree, it just like abdominal separation and some goes back, some needs a little extra support, you know, when diastasis is really severe. And then, you know, with the prolapse, it's genetic. It, depending on what your ethnic background, it affects women differently. Um, and then depending on how you deliver and the tension that you hold in your delivery, um, or how quick your delivery is, and there's levels to it, just like anything, um, you know, you might feel it, you might not. So it's really important to get checked. Um, we do have a pelvic floor PT in my OB's office and a lot, I think that conversation and the OBs are incorporating more. I mean, over in Europe, it's part of their postpartum care. Every woman gets it. It's not even a question. Um, so we have a lot of work to do here (laughs) in terms of postpartum. Um, but most of them are covered by your insurance. And even if you don't work with one long-term, get to know your body, like you said, as yeah. so that you can safely re-enter fitness, because there's no need at your six-week appointment to jump right back into your boot camp class. I'm really happy to tell you that you brought up some women don't feel it mm-hmm. because I realized I thought I had prolapse really bad. And when I actually went to physical therapy, she was like, no, you have grade one. It's not that bad. You just, you're, you're very body aware and you feel it a lot, but I didn't think about the other end of it, that some women actually may have it really bad and not feel it. So everyone should get checked and everyone should get checked too, to see if you die. If you still, I should say, if you still have diastasis recti, because mm-hmm. I also learned everyone has it during pregnancy. It's just how quickly after pregnancy, your body heals from it. So making sure too, that you go there. Cause even, you know, sometimes there's the notion that once you hit that six week, you can't do any core moves. You can't, you know, especially cause you need to protect that. Right. But then actually talking to the physical therapist, she's like there, yes, you want to take it easy, but if you're healed mainly from, you know, which again, every woman gets it while they're pregnant then you can safely go back into certain moves, things like that, just whatever, you know, with what you feel comfortable with, but there's not every limitation on you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's modification it's relaying your Mm -hmm. foundation. And I think breath and understanding your core function and how to support your inner abdominal pressure, that's how you can learn to safely reenter fitness and get to know, you know, which exercises and how you can do and how to modify them. Right. So if you're doing an ab exercise or you need to fully drop your leg, and full extension, why not bring your knees to tabletop, continue the exercise, slow it down and incorporate your breath. But how are you going to do that if you don't learn it? Yeah. And so what were some of the things, Taylor, when you experienced prolapse this time around and you were cleared to exercise that you felt like you modified or adjusted or just did in general or didn't do? Yeah. So I actually, oh gosh. I mean, I think our basic things like any sort of plank or push up, I drop to my knees, um, making sure that I'm doing the core breathing belly pump with literally everything. So every exercise, whether it was a squat, a push up, a row was a core focused exercise so that I can train not only my pelvic floor, but my diaphragm to work together to close any diastasis that was left, but also to strengthen my pelvic floor. 
um, I slowed exercises down. So if we were doing glute bridges, for example, if I'm in a bar class and they're going double time, I'm making sure that I'm getting a good lift, a good Kegel and lift at the top so that I could take my um, prescription for my therapy and actually use classes to strengthen. Um, I also downgraded how heavy I lifted. So, you know, again, you're working on that interabdominal pressure regulation. You're not going to jump back into grabbing 15s or 20s. So I downgraded to ace and 10s to be able to refocus on my form and get this, my strength back up. And really, I don't think I did a single real crunching full extension exercise for at least five months. Yeah. And can you do you mind Taylor just because I know we talked about on, on our last podcast and I've talked about it on others, but can you take everyone through just really quick how they would breathe to focus yeah, on their sure. core? Yeah. Sure. So I think first getting a hand on your chest and will they be able to see this? Cause I can, yeah. If, they, if they're watching it on YouTube, but they also okay. may just be listening. Okay. So we'll, we'll do a little bit of both, but place your hand one on your heart and one on your belly and just close your eyes and take a few deep breaths. And then just notice which hand starts to move. Ideally, you want the hand that's on your belly to be the one moving. And if it's not, we have to focus on getting our breath there. So I think what we do or have a tendency to do, I'm going to come up. I'm in my shorts. I'm in here in Miami. So you can see <laughs> my diaphragm here. Um, so diaphragmatic breath. You want to make sure that as you inhale, you don't want to suck your belly in. I think that's where people have the tendency to go. You actually want to focus on your inhale. That's your expansion. So your diaphragm expands and moves outward. And then your rib cage should actually expand as well. Then on your exhale, it's not about sucking your belly button into spine. You want to think about wrapping your transverse abdominus all the way around from your back all the way towards the midline of your body. And the last piece of the puzzle is a pelvic floor lift. So it's probably the opposite. Inhale. Exhale. Of what we've been trained to do, right? So as you're working on the exertion of a move, so let's say you're doing a squat. So that inhale expansion, drop the pelvic floor, expand the rib cage. As you power up, press into your heels support and lift. So that when you add the weight, you add resistance, you're really focusing on, again, the pressure regulation, and then also strength in the pelvic floor. And a great time to start that and practice it, which helped me in postpartum was starting to do it in pregnancy, which you can feel your belly a lot more and mm -hmm. you can feel it move a lot more. But that was practice for me to do it now because I went to my first formal workout class. I haven't really been exercising too much here, just a little bit here and there, but I went to a bar class and the benefit of moving to a new place, you get like the free class everywhere uh -huh. and they were great. I was stronger than I thought I would be, but I also, they did like a 90 second plank and I was like, yeah, no, that's not happening. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but I think you bring up a great point yeah. and I hate to interrupt, no. but being okay with doing a class within a class. Oh yeah. I think there's so much strength in getting to know your body and what you can do. Just tell the instructor beforehand and just say, Hey, I'm postpartum. If you have any modifications, great, but I know what to do. Also, if you don't just know that I'm going to be doing some of my own thing. Great. It's, it's the best thing you can do for yourself. 
Yeah, no, it was great. I told them ahead of time. So she would also know that I was kind of doing my own thing. And I did, I did some parts of the class, but I also, you know, did child's pose whenever I felt like it, I just stopped here and there. And then it made it enjoyable too. Like I left feeling like I mentally got a break because I also got an hour to myself, which was amazing. And I was focusing so much on moves that you really get a mental break. Absolutely. But I was really sore the next day. And that was something I knew I would be sore, but I wasn't really prepared for how sore I would be. So what actually helped me was just getting out and moving more like walking. And we do have like a little handheld massager. So I was using that while I was breastfeeding, which is now I just use while I'm breastfeeding anyways, because it's great. But that was so, I will say freeing to be able to do a class again, but it was only freeing because I did it in a way that made me feel comfortable and my body comfortable And the instructor made me feel comfortable, which that's also, you know, don't do a class that's high intensity where you're going to be feeling like you're not actually doing the class, which could mentally not be so great for yourself, but doing a lower impact class that really helped and helped me get back into working out too, Taylor. Cause I was kind of like, I need someone to tell me like to get me going because I kept being like, Oh, it's six weeks. I'll start doing little things at home. I'm like, no, that did mm-hmm. not happen. I needed. And then once I got that, like, you know, when you get back into working out and you are sore, which it doesn't feel good, but then you crave it again. Mm-hmm. It was all I needed to just then every other day I've done, you know, a 30 minute workout and it's very gentle. It's low impact, nothing crazy, but it got me going again. Yeah. And it's something it's yours. It makes you feel like you. And I think it's, it's this notion of getting back to who we were, but we're completely different people after we go through this experience. So it's stepping into this new version of yourself, but also just feeling like you, you know? Yeah. No, a hundred percent. Um, do you have any, I know we'll do a little plug at the end, but in terms of fitness, I know you have a few places that people, could follow you Taylor for certain like postpartum or during pregnancy, like how they can get into using their core, how to work out. Yeah. So the biggest piece right now, which was really exciting. I created my own prenatal program on the fitness app, Bajillion Michaels, where I actually teach and break down core breathing. And then I teach you how to take that core breathing and core function into your primal movement. So that squat, lunge, push up, row. So you can understand how you're supposed to use your core. And then every week it's just a core focused breath work piece, which I think is really, really powerful because if you can focus on that during pregnancy, you're going to have a better chance of decreasing a real risk for diastasis and postpartum. And then also once you rehab, you can utilize that program to kind of get you back um, because you can use your breath work the second you have your baby. Right. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you use your breath, right? Well, to have your baby and then you can start rehabbing and using your core breathing, you know, the second you get home basically. And it helps with anxiety and stress relief and all of that too. So, um, I would say that is the best place for prenatal fitness. And then of course on my Instagram at Taylor Walker fit. Yeah. And I, I think it definitely helped me doing a lot of the breath work during pregnancy, because now when I did go to my physical therapy appointment, she was like, you you don't have any diastasis recti. And I thought I was definitely going to still have some, but that was really the only thing I was doing is breathing. But part of it too, I realized was 
postpartum was remembering when to do it and finding a time to, and I actually realized while breastfeeding. So now I do my breathing, my pelvic floor breathing while I'm breastfeeding, which also makes me mentally feel good. Cause I'm doing something else. I'm not just like sitting on the couch, breastfeeding mm-hmm. or like turning the TV on, or it's no, I have something to do. I'm rehabbing my core while he's breastfeeding in the early days. I couldn't do it at the same time. Cause I was just worried about the latch, <laughs> uh-huh. but after that, you know, and now it's really nice and it gives me designated times to really work on that. So also like, you know, we talk about pairing habits a lot on this podcast, but pairing those habits, like if you're always breastfeeding or you're always feeding your baby, even if you're not breastfeeding, that's a great time. Um, cause whether you're sitting or laying down can often be like a good time to actually do that breath work. And you brought up a great piece to the puzzle too. It's like understanding the functionality of not only when you exercise, but then things you're doing around the house. So picking your baby up off the floor or out of the car, um, are you using your core? Are you using your breath? How are you taking the heavy stroller and putting it in your trunk? Are you using your core? Are you activating your pelvic floor? Um, you know, you're not supposed to pick up your toddler if you have a second baby within six weeks. And I think that's really what prolapsed me, unfortunately. Um, but if you're picking up an older child, are you connecting to your core and lifting your pelvic floor? So, um, not only taking it from your functional fitness, but also taking it throughout your daily activity is really, yeah, no. And that's a good point to, I didn't even think about that when you do have that toddler aspect, because they say, don't pick up anything heavier than Mm -hmm. your infant, but yeah. What do you do about your toddler, especially on the floor alone? Yeah. And that was the hardest part. I mean, my mom was here for two weeks. I had my husband for a little while, but of course the older ones too, they need a little bit more love when you bring a sibling home. So it was a lot of laying on the floor, come to mommy. Um, there's, you know, but we live in a townhouse, so he always wants to be picked up when he gets tired. So it's a struggle. It's, it's constant negotiation. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's, but that's also a great time or like, that's a great thing to realize that you may have to ask for support there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, if you do you have do. family coming in town or friends or things like that, like, can you just carry my toddler up the yeah. stairs? <laughs> um, no, that's really interesting. So I know we are running out of time, but one thing I want to go through and just add in Taylor, whatever you think is helpful for when you get home from postpartum. So I kind of created a little list. And then this is also a list that people had sent in that they found really helpful. So for me to have ready to go home from the hospital, which most of the stuff I did not have, um, one breast pads, knowing that once Mm. your milk comes in, you're going to be leaking everywhere. And I didn't even know you needed breast pads. And I remember my sister sent me a link to one that was like 200 breast pads. And I'm like, Oh, I won't need that many. Right. (laughs) And she's like, Mm, I went through that in like a month. I'm like, what? What? So breast pads is one of them. You may not have to get 200. Um, nursing bras. So some Mm -hmm. people may not even realize like, you know, there, it makes it so much easier when you can just snap off, you know, one part of your bra, put it back on. They can still look normal. You don't have to get Mm -hmm. like ugly ones or really cute ones out there. Soap to wash your pump and your baby's bottles with. Mm -hmm. So like we use just Dr. Bronner's soap, but getting, you know, you can't use like your dish soap for it or you don't really want to. Um, if you're having a boy getting some type of aquaphor or jelly, which you could also steal from the hospital or ask them for, I should say. 
shouldn't promote stealing from them, but <laughs> because once they have the circumcision, you're going to have to load that baby up until it's mm-hmm. healed. Um, which also makes changing a diaper not so great in the beginning. Like I had anxiety every time I, I changed a diaper and we had to, my husband and I tag teamed it every time. Um, making and CJ sure- was a crier every time he peed because of his circumcision, I think. Oh, so he no. would, so we were going through like 14, 15 days. I mean, crazy amount of diapers a day. He would scream when he would just have a wet diaper, oh not even poopy. So well, it was just actually, like, Taylor, that's a great point too. Making sure you have a lot of diapers at home. Yeah. We had like one small pack, which then I was on Amazon right away. And I'm like, Oh, <laughs> you go through like a lot of these, um, also having, and if you, you know, if there are other alternatives you like to use, please feel free. But having Tylenol, Motrin, mm-hmm. Colace was a big one. So a stool yeah. softener. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually, I'm still taking it. And I talked to my physical therapist the other week because I was like, is it okay that I'm still taking it? And she's like, oh yeah, you're going to take it. You may take it for a few months. Mm-hmm. She's like, it's not bad to be on long-term. Um, so that was something I learned because I, I stopped taking it and then I felt more prolapse. Mm-hmm. So now back on the Colace wagon you are constipated, you know, it does exacerbate the, the prolapse. So that's something to definitely take into consideration for sure. Yeah, no, it helps a lot. Um, sits baths. I bought them. I ended up not using them because they took them weeks to come, but I have heard in the beginning, they can be so helpful for healing. So that is one I would love to use next time. Did you use them at all, Taylor? Yes. I love them. Okay. And you can get, you can either get an actual sits bath bath. or you can get like just the packets, which is what I bought Mm -hmm. and you can brew it yourself. Um, but so that's something I definitely want to use next time. Also pajamas that open in the front. Yes. Robe, a comfy robe that's open Mm -hmm. in the front again, because you will be breastfeeding. I'm like just reading all my notes. Oh, and one thing that was a godsend for me. So a lot of the times you know, when you get home from the hospital and when you're in the hospital, they have this mesh underwear, then you're taught to put a pad, sometimes an ice pack as well, all these things. They were so uncomfortable for me, or honestly, I would bleed through them, um, because they don't, they're mesh. They don't cover everything. The women's depends diapers, the most amazing thing. Mm-hmm. That's all I use. The ones with oh, the pretty bow yep. on it. Oh, with the pretty, <laughs> yep. They have a cute designs. And then also I learned like, because you know, in the beginning you're just like, you're surviving. Mm-hmm. But then later when I was like, okay, I still feel like I need to wear them, but I don't like how high up they're coming. Sometimes you can also <laughs> just fold it over and it's like regular underwear, yep. but there's something comforting about it. And you also don't have as much of a process. You can put that in. If you want to add an ice pack, go for it, Mm -hmm. but it holds everything together so much better. And you feel like you're wearing more underwear than the mesh. It it just, you feel more like yourself. Yes. Yes. I would get two packs of them for sure. Maybe three. Um, they were wonderful. And then freedom moms for the Perry bottle that they have. It's wonderful. So it's a little bit longer. Any, all the freedom on products are honestly amazing. And they have a really calming foam getting congestion. I don't know where, but they have a a nice foam and, you know, thermoplast or whatever, but theirs is just a little bit more gentle and calming. And it was really healing this time. See, and that's so nice. And that's where, like I, you know, don't, I shouldn't promote stealing from the hospital, but whatever the hospital will give you Mm -hmm. and allow you to take, take it. Um, but yeah, those depends. 
underwear are the best thing ever. Um, it also, you know, it'll give your husband or spouse a few jokes to say like, Oh, you (laughs) and the baby are in diapers. I'm like, yep. mm -hmm, Yep, Every day, all day. Like, I love it. (laughs) Let's play keep away. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, so those were things that I had also, if you do find you are going to go out of the house and this is something I had anxiety around that my sister helped me with, um, having, or knowing what to put in a diaper bag that if you were to leave the house with your baby, what needs to go in there? It's not that much. I remember our first doctor's appointment. It was only like two days after we brought him home. All I did tell her, I'm like, wait, we have, we're like, also we're running half an hour late and he pooped right before we left, like everywhere. So we had to change him and we're leaving. And I'm like, Oh, like Pat, we're supposed to bring stuff. Like there's supposed to be stuff like in a bag. I literally ran upstairs. I grabbed one diaper, no, no wipes, nothing. I just grabbed one diaper, put it in my purse. And I'm like, okay, we're going to go. (laughs) And then later realizing like, no, like you should pack white. Like you should have a whole, like you were saying a whole arsenal, but in a backpack or a bag. So whenever you do feel like a couple of days before, you know, you are going to bring them out just so you can help reduce that anxiety, call a friend, family member, who's had a baby, ask them what to put in there. Once you have that ready to go, I don't know, for me, that reduced a lot of my anxiety. Once I felt confident bringing him out, because I also felt locked to the house, which was not good for my mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was one. And then we talked a lot about eating, but making sure you are still eating those first couple of days. It's really hard. I will say a crock pot can be a postpartum woman's best friend, just throwing in like a protein and maybe like a little bit of sauce let it yep. go. And then you can always, you don't even have to put it in a bowl. You can just like scoop some from the yep. crock pot here and there. Um, oatmeal was also an easy thing. Oatmeal to make. So easy. Yeah. Um, be, I found, you know, the chomps beef sticks mm-hmm. Taylor were great. Cause like, as you're breastfeeding, you can get in 10 grams of protein, also bone broth, which was, it's also really healing for you, but it was easy to just like sip on, sip on. while I was breastfeeding or doing something. And I tried to start my mornings with that. And it also helps with hydration. So you want to make sure you're getting enough sodium. So even, I mean, I'm still doing it now, but like I do an electrolyte packet a day that has a high amount of sodium because also for your supply, Mm -hmm. you have to make sure you're hydrated. So those were, you know, kind of eating and staying hydrated, um, and supplement wise, which I've seen to get from a lot of people, but for women continuing your prenatal Mm -hmm. probiotic, um, if you are having really bad uterus contractions in the beginning, I highly recommend taking a magnesium supplement or continuing it from pregnancy because it just helps with muscle relaxation as well as the contraction piece of it, but it should help with that relaxation. Um, and then taking an EPA and DHA Mm -hmm. combined supplement, especially the EPA for mood support. So trying to get ahead of, I mean, you're going to feel certain ways right after you deliver, but long-term really getting that mood support from the EPA and DHA, or if other people don't fish oil can really help. And then for baby vitamin D, if you're breastfeeding, highly recommend a probiotic and then also a DHA, which I will say he doesn't love taking his fish oil. (laughs) 
or honestly his probiotic, um, and vitamin D, but you just say good boy afterwards. And then that smile appears, but yeah, the faces he makes when he has to take those are Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Exactly. It's like, get this out of, you know, get this away. I just want milk. Exactly. Um, And just going back to, you know, our reminders for this episode is that everything is temporary. And another reminder from my sister that really helped was babies can't talk and crying is how they communicate. Mm -hmm. So remembering that every time they cry, it's not that they're in distress. It's just how they're trying to communicate with you, especially in the beginning, because that can be, and was for me like very mentally draining that I felt like he was constantly in distress and he wasn't, he's Mm -hmm. just saying like, Hey mom, I'm hungry, but that's Mm -hmm. how they talk. So I know that helps me a lot. And also knowing that they make a lot of noise and we thought he'd be in the bassinet in our room for months. We kicked him out after a month. We're like, get out. Like we can hear you safely from the other room. We'll leave our door open. (laughs) We leave his door open and we have the monitor, but like, it was like, get out. I know it. Lily (laughs) sounded like a farm animal. I was like, what is this? She went in the bathroom for a little while. And then we were like, you need to go in your crib. Like we're 20 feet away. We're good. Exactly. There's no shame in that. I actually feel safer being able to watch him. Likewise. Um, but yeah, you weren't, you were not a bad parent if you kicked them out very early. I mean, my, actually my <laughs> sister with one of her kids, they started right in the one, not in the bedroom. Yeah. They're like, no way you're not getting anywhere near us. Um, <laughs> so it's always interesting, but Taylor, I know we're running out of time, but I just want to thank you so much for coming on again. And if anyone listening hasn't listened to our first recording, which Taylor goes more in depth about, um, you know, fitness during pregnancy and postpartum and other strategies. We actually do another breathing exercise in that podcast. Definitely go listen to it. And I'm just so happy to see you too, Taylor, and see that you're Likewise. doing you're doing well. And that I mean, for anyone, if you're watching on YouTube, I mean, you can see. You know, I can't even believe to that. Lily's six months. It's the time. It's the slowest, fastest. I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, you know, now it's, it's a time warp, but two healthy babies, very thankful. And I'm happy to see you on the other side. Also, (laughs) it's hard to explain. I know it is hard to explain, but hopefully, I mean, who knows, who knows what our next, our next recording could be, right. It's just anything that comes up, but for everyone listening, always reach out to either of us. If you have questions, there is something about once you are a mom, you are, you're in this group or even when you're pregnant and we all want to support each other. So always reach out with questions. Um, and we'll be here for you. Yeah. It's all about support. All right. Thanks so much, Taylor. The main things I want you to take away from this episode are one, to prepare yourself as much as you can with the healing tools Taylor and I discussed, as well as to slowly get back into moving your body and first start with some of the breathing techniques Taylor guided us through today. Also make sure to check out her postpartum classes on the Jillian Michaels app for more guided support. Thank you for listening to Naturally Well by Nordic Naturals. And remember you can watch every episode of the podcast on our Naturally Well YouTube channel. For something to do in between episodes and to get all the cute content from my little boy, Connor, follow me on Instagram at livewellwithkate, where I typically live on my stories, providing a variety of daily health and wellness tips. 
Naturally Well is hosted by myself, Kate Turner, and produced by Andrew Stephen. If you have any questions, please send us an email at podcast at nordicnaturals.com, and we hope to answer your question on air. If you like this show, please tell a friend, share an episode, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Thank you.